Well, good morning again. If you have your Bibles, please go to Matthew chapter 13. Matthew chapter 13. I want to say thank you to all of our Sunday morning groups, Sunday school teachers for helping us get information out. I hope that you got that in your class this morning. We sent an email out to all of our Sunday school teachers on Thursday with detailed information about things that's going on around the church. And so hope you were able to get all that good information. There's a lot of great things coming up. Also, if you don't mind, I know you just sat down. But out of respect, thank you. Out of respect for God's word, would you please stand? You were ready. We're going to be in verse 24. Jesus said these words. It says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man who sowed good seed in his field. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, then the weeds appeared also. And the servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? How then does it have weeds? He said to them, An enemy has done this. So the servant said to him, Then do you want us to go and gather them? But he said, No, lest in gathering the weeds you root up the wheat along with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. And at the harvest time, I will tell the reapers, Gather the weeds first and bind them in bundles to be burned, but gather the wheat into my barn. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Thank you so much. Last week, we began in Matthew's gospel in chapter 13, looking at Jesus' teaching on the parables. And last week, we looked at the parable of the sower. And at the beginning of that sermon, I told you five facts about parables that we need to keep in mind. Number one is that parables are found both in the New Testament and the Old Testament. Number two, what a parable is, is it is an extended simile. It's saying this is like that. Number three, a parable is illustrating a truth, a core truth or truths that it wants to get across. But number four, a parable is not a principle. A parable is trying to provoke your mind, to provoke your mental faculties, to get you to think and search for where the truth is, what is the truth that's being conveyed. And then number five, and importantly, Jesus teaches us how to interpret the parables. This is going to be very important for understanding the rest of the parables that he's going to tell us in Matthew chapter 13. Now, last week, again, we looked at the parable of the sower, talking about the sower going out and sowing seeds, sowing the word of God into the world, and we saw that there were four types of soil. First, there was seed that was sown along the path. This, the path represented the calloused and jaded heart. And then there was seed sowed along the rocky ground. This was the ground that represented the shallow or emotional heart. And then there was seed sown among the thorns. And these were the ones who were consumed and worried about the ways and things of this world. And then some seed fell on good soil. But even in the good soil, there were different returns, wasn't there? Some 100, some 60, and another 30-fold. And so the question we were left with last week was, what kind of soil are we? And the return that we're going to produce in our lives is dependent upon how much of the seed, how much of the word we're willing to apply to our lives. Jesus picks up teaching right after the sower, and he starts in verse 24 with the parable we just read. 
Now, he tells us how to interpret this parable down in verses 36 through 43. So let's read it again with the interpretation. The text says, he put another parable before them saying, the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a man, that man is Jesus, who sowed good seed, that good seed are the sons of the kingdom, in his field. The field is the world. Jesus is coming to lay claim to this world. But while his men were sleeping, his enemy, that is Satan, came and sowed weeds, that sons of the evil one, among the wheat and went away. So when the plants came up and bore grain, the weeds appeared also. And the weeds that are appearing here is a particular kind of weed called the bearded darnel. Some of you have heard of that. It looks exactly like wheat, except it does not bear grain. On the outside, it looks identical to wheat. As a matter of fact, in the first century, if you had an enemy and you wanted to retaliate on your enemy, you would go and you would take bearded darnel and sow it in their field. So they think they're having a plentiful crop coming in, but there's nothing on the inside. Just like today, we can, be, uh, we can look very much like a Christian, but actually be dead on the inside. That's the type of weeds he's talking about here. So the servants say to him, you know, should we go out and try to separate the weeds from the wheat? But notice that Jesus says, no, lest in gathering the weeds, you root up the wheat along with them. But there's going to come a day of harvest. And that's when I'm going to send the reapers. Those are the angels. I'm going to send the reapers and there's going to be this separation. Some are going to be bundled and burned. That represents hell. Some are going to go into my barn. That represents new heavens, new earth. Now, to understand what Jesus is teaching us here, we have to understand the distinction between two particular things. The first thing is the church, and the second thing is a church. In over 20 years of ministry, this is the one thing that I think a lot of Christians get confused in their mind, the difference between the Catholic, not Roman Catholic, but universal global church and what it means to then be a particular local church. As a local church, we have to govern ourselves under the lordship of Jesus and the authority of scripture, right? That is one thing. We are the people who, of prayer, we're the people of praise, we're the people who proclaim the word. But what it means to be a part of the universal church, the reformers told us there are three particular marks. If you wanna find the church globally and be identified as a true church globally or universally, there are three particular marks that you would need to have. Number one is the right preaching of the word. Number two is the right administration of the sacraments, baptism, Lord's Supper. And then number three is this thing called church discipline. Now we don't like the word discipline in our culture at all, but discipline is a biblical word. We soften it a little bit and we talk about accountability, right? We try to soften that a little bit. And sometimes we don't even like the word accountability, so we just don't have any at all. But wherever you see the church, all around the world, you see the true church functioning, uh, you see these three things. The right preaching of the word, the right administration of the sacraments, and then church discipline, or a church holding itself accountable so that it continues to grow. Again, as a local church, every local church has distinctives. There are things that are unique to who we are because we are a unique expression of the larger church. So think about it in terms of how we do what we do. Those things are distinct to us, okay? Whenever Jesus is telling about the parable of the weeds and the wheat here, he's talking about the universal global church. He's not talking about a particular local church specifically. So the point that he is making here is very, very important. 
It is that he, Jesus, is going about his work and he's sowing in sons and daughters of the kingdom all over the world, all over the world. At the same time, the enemy is sowing in his sons and daughters all over the world. And Jesus' point here is one day, I am going to come. One day, I am going to judge. One day, I will separate the two, and it will be clearly known. We are the people of praise. We praise through song and sacrament. We are the people of prayer. We pray. Prayer is a petition and intercession. We are people who proclaim God's word, yes. And one day, God will come, and he will judge the whole earth. That's his big idea, the big point he's making there. Now, Jesus immediately goes into another parable, and I want you to see how all these parables go together. They're telling a larger story. So Jesus tells this parable of the weeds and the wheat, which he'll interpret here in just a moment, and he just goes into another parable. He says, he put another parable before them, verse 31, saying, the kingdom of heaven is like a grain of mustard seed that a man took and sowed in his field. It is the smallest of all seeds, but when it has grown, it is larger than all the garden plants and becomes a tree. So that the birds of the air, notice that phrase, the birds of the air come and make nests in its branches. So Jesus tells this parable about the weeds and the wheat and then immediately goes into this parable of the mustard seed. Most of the time, whenever we read the parable of the mustard seed, we say, yes, this is what the kingdom is like, right? It starts out small. Jesus has come to plant it, and then it grows, and it grows large. And it's so large that the birds of the air can come and nest in its branches, and the birds of the air are all those different kinds of Christians all around the world, and all the branches are the different branches of Christianity throughout the centuries. Now, let me just say, that is true. That is actually what is happening and still happening in human history. However, I think Jesus is making another important point. Remember point number five I told you at the beginning? Jesus teaches us how to interpret the parables. I think one of the things that Jesus is saying here is that the enemy will always seek to penetrate the church, to come and make nests in the church. Remember, he just taught about the weeds and the wheat. The question is, how do you interpret the word birds? Jesus does not give us an interpretation to this parable. He does not pull his disciples to the side and say, this is what it means. Which tells us, if we're going to interpret the parable correctly, we need to know how does Jesus use his terms in the previous parables? How has he previously interpreted them? And Jesus has just talked to us about birds, didn't he? Remember the parable of the sower? Verses 3 and 4 of chapter 13, he says this, says he told them many things in parables saying a sower went out to sow and as he sowed some seed fell along the path and the birds came and devoured them Jesus then interprets what he says in verses 3 and 4 in verses 18 and 19 he says here then the parable of the sower this is just him and his disciples he says when anyone hears the word of the kingdom and does not understand it the evil one comes and snatches away what has been sown in his heart this is what was sown along the path so the last time Jesus referenced birds it was not a good thing so if we're going to let Jesus interpret the parable of the mustard seed what he's saying is yes the kingdom of God is going to be planted yes it's going to start small and it's going to grow but the evil one and his followers are always going to try to penetrate the church 
Then he says this parable. He told them another parable, verse 33, the kingdom of heaven is like leaven that a woman took and hid in three measures of flour till it was all leavened. And again, we say, yes, this is like the kingdom. The kingdom, it starts small, but it's organic and it grows and it spreads and it permeates the whole earth. True, in a sense. But how does the Bible talk about leaven? Galatians chapter 5, verse 9, 1 Corinthians 5, verse 6. Paul says, uses this phrase in both places. When he's talking to Corinth and the church in Galatia, he says, a little leaven leavens the whole lump. And there he's not using this in a good sense. He's talking about how that false teaching and false doctrine come into the church and can corrupt the church and permeate the church and saturate the church. How does Jesus talk about leaven? If we go over to chapter 16, just a few chapters over, go ahead and turn there. Matthew 16, verse 5. It says, when the disciples reached the other side, they had forgotten to bring bread. Verse 6, Jesus said to them, Watch and beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. And they began discussing it among themselves. <sighs> we brought no bread. But Jesus, aware of this, said, Oh, you have little faith. Why are you dis discussing among yourselves the fact that you have no bread? Do you not yet perceive? Do you not remember the five loaves for the 5,000 and how many baskets were gathered? Or the seven loaves for the 4,000, how many baskets were gathered? How is it that you fail to understand that I do not speak about bread? Beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. Verse 12, then they understood that he did not tell them to beware of the leaven of bread, but the teaching of the Pharisees and Sadducees. See, throughout Scripture, there are false teachers and false teaching. They are connected. They are also different. False teaching is when we take away or add to God's word. We get the warning all throughout scripture, beginning, middle, and end. That's false teaching. Add to or take away from God's word. False teachers are people who want to lead the church away from being a biblically unified community on earth as in heaven. That's what a false teacher does. And false teachers go to be a part of churches, but they don't really want to be a part. But they want to go be a part just enough to cause division. That's why to be a Sunday school teacher in this church, not only do you have to be a member, that's a no-brainer, but you have to sign a leadership covenant that we are in alignment with one another theologically and how we practice and how we live out our faith. Amen. It's that important to us. Because there is false teaching, adding to or subtracting from the word, but there are also false teachers who go in and cause division. Several years ago, I was at a church, and a guy came up to me after the service, and he said, wow, that's a wonderful service. I ain't been here in two or three years. I said, oh, that's great. You know, where'd you come from? He goes, oh, I just hadn't come in two or three years. I was like, okay, well, what church are you a part of? He goes, this one. I said, oh, that's great, but you haven't been to a service in two or three years? He goes, oh, no, I just teach Sunday school. Like, uh, you just teach? He goes, yeah, yeah, I'm not a member or anything. I just teach Sunday school. I've taught Sunday school for years. <laughs> I was like, you used to, <laughs> right? See, false teachers are very slick because they want to come and they want to be a part. They want the benefits of the kingdom, but they don't want any commitment to you 
or to the church or to the kingdom. Are you with me there? This is how Jesus talks about leaven. A little leaven can leaven the whole lump. So you see his argument. There are weeds and there are wheat. But evil is going to try to penetrate the church. Evil is going to try to permeate the church. And then we see a quote from the prophet that Jesus would teach us in these ways. In verse 35, I will open my mouth in parables. I will utter what has been hidden since the foundation of the world. Then verse 36, he explains the parable of the weeds to them. It says, then he left the crowds and went into the house. And his disciples came to him saying, explain to us the parable of the weeds of the field. Verse 37, he answered, the one who sows the good seed is the son of man. Jesus says, that's me. The field is the world because Jesus is coming to take over the world. And the good seed is the sons of the kingdom. That's us. And the weeds are the sons of the evil one. And the evil one who sown them, well, he's the devil. The harvest is the end of the age. The reapers are the angels. He's just explaining it. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his angels and they will gather out of his kingdom all causes of sin and lawbreakers. Causes of sin and lawbreakers can be summarized, those two phrases summarized in one word, and that is rebellion, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In fact, or in that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their father. He who has ears, let him hear. Again, Jesus saying, this is what it means. Then notice Jesus goes right into another parable. It says the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field in which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has and buys that field. And so many times when we read that, we say, oh yeah, that's like us. We put ourselves at the center of the parable. We say, oh yeah, that's like us. We see Jesus, he's our treasure. We must go and we must sell everything and we must buy something. Do we buy our salvation? The parable is not about us as much as it is about Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field. It's like the treasure that's hidden, the treasure that's hidden that Jesus is making known. What is that treasure that Jesus is now making known? It is the salvation of the world. Where is the field? It is the world. That's how Jesus interprets it. And a man, that is Jesus, he found and covered it up. Who was covered up for our sins? It was Jesus who went into the tomb. I don't think you went into the tomb for your own sins. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. In his joy, in his joy, does that sound familiar? Hebrews 12, 1 and following. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of God. For the joy set before him. In his joy, he goes and he sells all that he has. He gives up everything so that he can have that field. Does that sound familiar? How about Philippians 2? Verse 4, let each of you look not only to your own interests, but also the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not account equality 
with God as something to be grasped, but emptied himself by taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him the name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of the Father. It was Jesus who emptied himself of the glories of heaven and came and purchased our salvation. Paul says it over and over. 1 Corinthians 6.20, you were bought with a price. 1 Corinthians 7.23, you were bought with a price. You don't buy your salvation, but Jesus bought it for you. He is the one who in his joy has sold everything to come to this moment. Oh, and then he says another parable, verse 45. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of fine pearls. Pearls, what an odd thing to talk with Jewish people about who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all he had and bought it. Here's the selling and buying again. You know, Jesus in the first century really didn't value pearls because of the unclean animal from which they came, right? And we know how a a pearl is made. It's an agitation, irritation that's layered and layered and layered, and over time it becomes this beautiful thing. You know who did value pearls? Gentiles. Gentiles did. So even in this moment, while Jesus is talking to the disciples, he's telling them why he has come. It is in his joy he has now come. He is the one that is going to purchase salvation, and even the Gentiles are going to be a part of it. He's already telling them about this. Just go read Romans 10 and 11. You see it there. And then he told them another parable. Again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind, every kind, Greek word genos. It's where we get the word genetics from. When it was full, men drew it ashore and sat down and sorted the good into containers but threw away the bad. Jesus says, so it will be at the end of the age, the angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place, there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Do you see his argument yet? Jesus says, here's how the kingdom's going to work. Seed is going to be sown. It's going to fall on different kinds of soil. Some will be receptive. But while this is being done, while the sons and daughters of the kingdom are being sown all over the planet, the evil one is going to come, and he is going to sow seeds as well. His sons and daughters are going to increase as well. And the evil one and his evil followers are going to try to penetrate the church and permeate the church, just like birds nesting in a tree or leaven that's spreading out. But Jesus says, but I'm going to come. And I'm going to sort this out one day at the harvest time. You leave that to me. He says, what I've done is I've come and in my joy, I've sold the glory of heaven. I've given that up so that I could come and purchase salvation for you Jews, yes, but also the Gentiles as well. And one day, it's like a net that's going to be thrown out there. We're going to gather everyone before the throne and the righteous and the unrighteous are going to be separate, separated. And you and I, have to ask the question, just like the disciples had to ask the question on that day, which one are we? Are we wheat or are we weeds? Are we righteous or are we unrighteous? You may say, Chris, I've gone to church for 40 years. Whoop-de-doo. I don't care. You may say, Chris, I've mastered 30 hymns. Whoop-de-doo. 
question is, do you know Jesus? Do you understand that he is the one who has purchased your salvation? That's the question. Are you a part of his kingdom? And not just belonging, but are you building it? Notice what he says next. He looks at the disciples in verse 51 and he says, have you understood all these things? They said to him, yes. (laughs) He says, good. He said to them, therefore, every scribe who has been trained in the kingdom of heaven, he says, if you understand what I'm telling you right now, that you are a scribe, you're not just a servant, you're a scribe, you're an expert. You've been trained in the kingdom of heaven, he says, is like a master of a house who brings out of his treasure what is new and what is old. Jesus said, seeds being sown all over the world, some is going to fall on good soil. Good soul, some not. But the evil one's going to sow seed as well. He's going to seek to penetrate the church, to permeate the church. But I will come one day and I will sort that out. I have come to give my life for salvation, to purchase salvation for you and for the whole world, every Gentile that's out there. And one day I'm going to return. The second coming, everybody will stand before me and there will be a great separation. You may want to deny that or edit that out of the Bible if you want to. I'm telling you, it's going to happen. Jesus talks more about his return and what's going to happen at his return than a lot of times we like to admit. And he's going to come and we're going to stand before him. And the question on that day is, are we wheat or are we weeds? Matthew 25, 31 and following, he uses the image of sheep or goats, righteous or unrighteous. That's the question that sits before me and you every single day. And he looks at his disciples. He says, okay, if you understand, you have a responsibility. Your responsibility is to bring out the treasure to bring out the truth, to bring out the revelation, what we call testaments, both the old and the new, and you go show people, tell people, sow seed on this planet. That's what Jesus did after his resurrection on the road to Emmaus, wasn't it? It says he opened up the scriptures to the two disciples that were walking with him. Moses, the prophets, the law, he opened them up and showed them the things concerning himself, both Old Testament and New Testament. All this treasure we take out and we share Christ to the world. And the question that we have to ask ourselves are not do we like the songs we sung this morning, not do we like the special prayer time this morning, not do we like sitting here listening to Chris talk. I know you do. But the question we have to ask ourselves is do I, am I really a part of that kingdom? Do I belong to that kingdom? And then if I do, Jesus says our responsibility is to build that kingdom. So many times we try to live our lives where we just want to belong enough to hopefully make it into a place called heaven one day. You're called to so much more. Just as he said to the disciples on that day, he says to me and you, now that you've been trained, you're a scribe trained in the kingdom of heaven, it's time to go. And it's time to share. It's time to sow seed and pray that it may fall on good soil. And my prayer is that we would do just that that we would see the glory of Christ in our life and what he has done for us and we would be captivated by that to the point that we would not dare keep it to ourselves. How selfish that would be. And in fact, it may actually prove whether or not we are weeds or empty wheat. That bearded Darnell, oh, it looks like wheat. But it's not. It's not. So may we be found faithful 
Not just in belonging, but in building, in sowing for his honor and his glory. Amen? Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you. We thank you because you are good. We thank you because you have spoken. Lord, I pray that as we hear your word, as James says, that we would be doers of your word. That we would not just let this go in one ear and out the other. That we would not just hear the challenge and then, and then say, I'll do that tomorrow. Lord, I pray that our hearts would be pierced to the point that that beautiful conviction of our calling would rest upon us. And Lord, I pray that it would produce an action within us. May we be sowers of your word. And may we sow freely and trust you with the increase. Because you're the one that paid it all. You're the one that gave us the free gift. May we see it. May we believe it and give that gift to others. Let's do it for that. Your, your honor and your glory, Lord. In Jesus' good and powerful name, and everybody said, would you please stand?